It was the first Category 5 hurricane to reach the Florida Panhandle. How the second major hurricane of 2018 impacted the United States. And chasing down hurricanes. The art and science of being in the eye of the storm. Why Josh Borgerman does it. This is NTWC Live. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to NTWC Live. It is... October the 11th, already into October. Hard to believe we made it uh, through the thick of the hurricane season, but it ain't over till it's over. And Bill's going to give us an update on that coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, a, a big show for you today. Alan Strom from WEAR is with us today. We're going to talk about uh, hurricanes. Michael in particular we might talk about Sally a little bit as well. And who knows if Josh Morgan is going to pop in today or not. He's scheduled, but he's on a chase and uh, hopefully he'll pop in at some point. We just hope he pops in somewhere at some point. Uh, at this point in the hurricane, he disappeared for two or three days. So so we'll see if he can get in here with us. I want to thank our sponsors who make this event a reality week in and week out. USAA. Uh, thank you, USAA. You're a big part of what we do with the Storm Science Network and with the National Tropical Weather Conference. And thank you for sponsoring NTWC Live uh, each week. We appreciate that. Uh, South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau will be back on South Padre Island in April, first week of April of 2024. You all will join us at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel there on beautiful South Padre Island in April for live and in person with NTWC. The Weather Company. They do a lot for all of us in this business, and we appreciate the weather company. And finally, Weather Boy, providing scholarships. Uh, it's a contest bringing college students in from all over the nation, uh, providing uh, you know free transportation room and board for them to come. It's a contest. Weather Boy, we appreciate what they do uh, to help the education of, of meteorology students from anywhere in the U.S. or continental U.S. or in Hawaii. We appreciate that. All right, we'll get to Alan and, uh, and Hurricane Hal in just a minute, but first let's get over to Bill Reed and say good morning. And Bill, uh, it rained at my house, it rained at your house, it rained at Hal's house. It's going to rain at Alan's house. Not going to rain at Alex's house, though. He just missed out again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why you see cactus in San Antonio a lot more than you see them here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 I'll talk a bit later on on the on the rain we're getting and it's the tropical contribution to it, of course. And uh, 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 got a whole bunch of stuff going on in the tropics. And yeah, Josh. I was supposed to be introducing him so we can make up stories about him if we want, but I, I'll skip that. Last week he was in Taiwan. He was home for a day and he flew to Mexico. Uh, and I'm sure he captured a, a, an amazing landfall with uh, Lydia uh, just to the south of, uh, of uh, Puerto Vallarta. We'll talk about that a little bit also. So, yep, we, uh, uh, we're glad we... Uh, uh, I'm glad Alan showed up or we'd all be having to talk weather the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 20 minutes leading up to the show, we do that anyway, but at least, at right. least get somebody well, else involved. So, so Hal, you got the lead on this one. How about introducing our guests and starting the stories? Yeah, good morning, everybody. So excited to introduce our guest this morning. Alan Strum is the chief meteorologist at WEAR-TV. In 2004, Alan played a critical role in talking viewers through devastating Hurricane Ivan, and then he did it again in 2018 with Hurricane Michael. Alan, welcome to NTWC Live. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks very much for uh, having me. I'm glad to be here and, and chat hurricanes. And so far this season has been a nice, mellow one for us around here. And we are certainly glad to see that. 
Yeah, you know, you need it after. It's always nice to get a bit of a break. It seemed like the Northern Golf was getting hit a lot in recent years. I mentioned Ivan in 2004, Michael in 2018. And I think later on the broadcast, you're going to share a little bit about Sally several years ago, too, was was a big hit. Obviously, the Pensacola area is very vulnerable to hurricane strikes. Yes, I've been here 22 years and, you know, you all mentioned Hurricane Ivan. That was in 2004. You know, when I first got here, people were talking about Aaron and Opal, which were back in the 90s. And then Hurricane Ivan came along in 2004 and really devastated the area. It was a Category 3 hurricane. It was a direct hit and it just tore stuff up. And then less than a year later, uh, we had Hurricane Dennis, which was also a direct hit. A different storm, though, a, a smaller, tighter storm with a bit of a different impact, but still, again, a major hurricane at Category 3. Dennis in 2005 and you know those years were incredibly active and that's also at the time Katrina hit which was uh, you know that was even something for us as well where uh, we're losing power and such even though uh, most people think of that as a Mississippi and a, a Louisiana storm Katrina but definitely I mean a huge impact for also areas of southwest Alabama uh, and certainly our area in, in here in, in, in Pensacola you know, then we, you know, we go through some years and then we had, uh, you know, Hurricane Michael and then Hurricane Sally. Now for Hurricane Michael, uh, we were on the soft side of the storm uh, being in Pensacola. Uh, so, we, you know, we ended up, you know, everybody, people evacuated, everybody heeded the warnings. You know, we were under hurricane warning. Uh, and the, as the storm hit, though, you know, that was a, really a, a, a Panama City Beach and, a, um, you know, Mexico Beach and those areas of the panhandle. So, and when people evacuate and they ask me for advice or they, I just talk to them about it, I always say, hey, look, you know, you want to kind of you want to cruise to the to the west, go that way because you'll be on the softer side of the storm. That's the way it works for us here across the northern Gulf Coast is that storm's coming on shore because this one, as you look at that path right there from Hurricane Michael, you know, it, it not only had that impact around Panama City and Mexico Beach and those areas, uh, but also Tallahassee. You know, in places up into Georgia, I mean, this thing was just tearing down trees as it went up through Georgia and into the Carolinas. I have a, a cousin who lives in North Carolina in Greensboro who was without power for five days in Greensboro, North Carolina uh, from Hurricane Michael. You know, it reminds me of a story, too, back from Hurricane Ivan in 2004, where we had, you know, loss of life and tremendous loss of property and damage. And there was somebody that evacuated from the local area and went to North Carolina and ended up losing their life in a mudslide. It's like, you know, the, 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 you know, these storms can go so far inland and have such a such a big impact. You know, in thinking about Michael, too, in this time of the year, I mean, here we are five years after Hurricane Michael. And I think back to when the advisories were first being issued on Hurricane Michael, you know, early on in the advisories. You know, as, as we remember back, we're like, oh, OK, so we've got something down there around the Yucatan, you know, in that part of the Caribbean Sea. It looks like it's going to come up in the Gulf and, oh, it will end up in our area as a tropical storm. All right, let's get ready for that. But everything happened so quickly with Hurricane Michael. So we it's on the weekend, too. So we start out with advisories from the National Hurricane Center on a Saturday, which uh, in, our, in the news business, I think we always feel like when we're trying to get information out on a Saturday or Sunday or on the weekends, it's just processed differently by people. We don't have as many newscasts. You know, people aren't at work talking about it. They're kind of just uh, maybe, you know, this time of the year, they're watching football. You know, they're watching college football on Saturday, watching NFL on Sunday. And that's not really something people want to think about on their weekend. So Saturday, we get potential tropical cyclone, um, which maybe I can uh, hit 
Bill Reed up on that because that name is also difficult to explain uh, to all of our viewers. Potential tropical cyclone. What? What? What's a cyclone? Well, a cyclone, you know, and so on. Uh, but that started on Saturday, uh, and then on Sunday, okay, we're expecting a tropical storm, and then on Monday, I mean, this is happening so fast. You know, the potential tropical cyclone advisories are great. We love them. It's an early heads up, and we needed it. But Monday, you've got advisories like a watch. And then by Monday night, we're under a hurricane warning. You know, this. then the, the, the next thing we know, we're talking about a major hurricane over the Gulf of Mexico hitting somewhere likely within the panhandle. And then, of course, you know, so we go through the weekend, we get the hurricane warning, the watch in the morning Monday, and then that thing strikes on a Wednesday. Yeah, it's just it's just ramped up so much. Bill, let's go over to you. I mean, uh, Alan brought up a good point with talking about potential tropical cyclone. It's great to get that extra heads up. But what do you think about the wording of some of these things? Is is it helpful? Are there ways that we could improve that? Uh, That's kind of a good question. I I remember the uh, that was implemented after I retired, but we were in discussions on it. And uh, uh, I think a lot of people were uncomfortable. You see, we have to coordinate that. That affects all the other countries in the region, including the Caribbean and Canada. Uh, my preference would have been uh, 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 take a bite out of the apple and say uh, potential tro- uh, tropical storm, whatever the next name would be. I think people might might glom onto that a lot better than potential tropical storm. Uh, but uh, uh, I probably, agree. Yeah. I think you guys that are still in the working world on there would uh, uh, you might want to uh, if people are having problems with that still might want to uh, uh, like Dan Brown would be a good person uh, to let know because he was the leader on on performing that uh, thing. But you're right; it's a uh, it's incredibly uh, useful. That you know, if we didn't do that, then you wouldn't have had anything out on this thing on Michael until it was already in the Gulf of Mexico and things were happening quick. Right. And I I agree. I think having that early heads up, you know, not just people looking at model data, but actually throwing out a forecast track that's official from the National Hurricane Center with a PTC potential tropical cyclone is wonderful. It's a it's a wonderful early heads up. But we you know, in the amount of time we have to uh, pass this along on the news and in the way we do things like actually going through the explainer every time. And we do. I mean, I can ask. A hundred people, you just go around town and ask a hundred people, what's a potential tropical cyclone? I would think there might be one or two that would know, Um, you know, they're savvy around here somewhat, but it's just not something that sticks. And I do like, I think, potential tropical storm. I think that's a better name. And I did talk to uh, Jamie Rome, you know, from the National Hurricane Center about it. We had a chat and some of the bounce back is, well, we, we don't want to call that in case it doesn't become a tropical storm. I don't know if it doesn't become it, then we'll just say, Hey, it didn't become the tropical storm. That's okay. You know, sometimes it's going to, we say it's going to rain and uh, well, it doesn't rain, you know, or vice versa. And that, that's just kind of the way it goes. But yeah, the, I think the whole naming of it, you know, and the, the, the fact that people don't, um, they, they just don't know what a cyclone is. That's something that happens in another part of the world, you know, exactly. Alan, yeah. I had a question for you. You mentioned how people consume media different on the weekends. Do you adapt to that? Are there different ways that you'll forecast? Will, will you focus more on social media, for example, on the weekends compared to weekdays? Or do you pretty much always pretty much communicate the same, whether it's a weekend or a weekday? 
Uh, I think that in the case where we've got something serious going on, what we'll do is we'll just add. So let's say on the actual television, on broadcasting, uh, we'll add in, say, uh, cut-ins at the top of the hour. Or maybe if uh, football, I work for an ABC affiliate. We also own an NBC affiliate in the market. It's a Sinclair Broadcast Group. And we'll we'll actually say during football, we might pick a network break to cover up and, you know, and, and say what's going on, or there's little, little opportunities, we, opportunities we can use on air to push that out. I, if I, it's hard to remember back in this case, but I want to say, you know, with a Saturday, you know, we've already got our staff in place. So we, you know, the, the meetings and such that you have on a Friday aren't really happening on a Saturday. So whomever's there working on the Saturday is there working and um, kind of making those decisions and, oh, potential tropical cyclone. I, I doubt we did anything additional on that Saturday uh, with a potential tropical cyclone. Not, but okay, we got this. We'll include it in our newscast and go on. Uh, but that's something that um, really, I mean, at that time, though, I don't, you know, we didn't know how severe the situation was going to end up being, but, um, you know, maybe it is something, hey, this is, you know, we needed to get that out more. Social media, I mean, we pretty much, um, we're tossing it out there uh, on our, it's getting out there on social media either way, uh, you know, and we use our website of, you know, our TV station's website, and then we post that on Facebook, Instagram, uh, X, and and so on, and then on our personal ones, we we do as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh uh, especially with Michael, that at those first advisories, there was uh, uh, nothing in the guidance uh, or the human interaction with the forecast that were it was indicating we were going to have a, a a major hurricane uh, develop out of this. There was uh, some uh, negative factors such as shear and proximity of dry air that were uh, even that the models were picking up on that were retarding any kind of development. And I, my experience has been until you throw the H word out there, uh, uh, people are not going to take it seriously, even though I get mad when they say just uh, on a tropical storm. That's not its name. But uh, yeah, uh, right. It is. That was that was one of the big challenges with 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 Michael. And I think it's it was a challenge with Harvey. And it's it, it, it's a reminder that the Gulf of Mexico is a, a a location for these rapid intensifiers and uh, uh, until we get much better at long lead time for rapid intensification that's always going to be a challenge alan do you feel like a lot of people had left their guard down with michael because we were already so far into october uh i i don't i don't think so i i you know in our area i think everybody took it very seriously and most people left you know when they saw a major hurricane you know <clears throat> pardon me uh, they left the area and evacuated. Uh, not everybody, but a lot of people did. You, you know, and it didn't end up being our storm. It ended up being a storm toward you know the Mexico Beach, Panama City Beach area. But I think uh, maybe kind of to answer your question in a different way for the folks over there, that is an area that really hadn't been hit. You know, and I mean they hadn't had anything clean up that area, so to speak, in a long, long time. I mean decades. So I think for those folks, maybe the people that had lived there a long time, they just weren't uh, they just weren't really uh, as familiar uh, with what what a storm like that can do. And so a lot of people decided to stay. And, you know, you, you go, you know, after after Hurricane Michael hit, you drive down Mexico Beach. I mean, they're just foundations there where these uh, these houses and such were just just washed away. And there were people inside that didn't make it. You know, a lot of people died in that hurricane so i i wonder you know i, I kind of hate to speak for the people over there i don't want to i don't want to say like they're unaware of, of the hurricanes or, or what to um 
what to expect, but I, that's just a vibe I got that maybe that was an area that hadn't been hit in so long that, uh, that they, they weren't really sure what, what, you know, how bad it could be. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, Alan, I was driving through that impact zone the day before landfall and just what, what stood out to me, I just seemed to me like this area was not as well prepared as you'd think. Just a lot of loose stuff just laying around and you're thinking this is not going to go well. It felt very different to me than what you might see in South Louisiana or coastal Texas or places that had had more frequent hur- hurricane hits. Yeah, I think so. And I think around this area where we have had more, you know, you're going to see more boarding up and you're going to see more evacuations and, and things like that. And uh, maybe more people, maybe more people have generators as well because they've experienced that, you know, long term power loss uh, in, in this area. But it, it, yeah, I mean, far too many people stayed in some of those places that may not have known how, you know, what storm surge is and how bad it can be and that it it will, you know, with the with winds and a surge like that, it's, it's literally going to take the house away. Alan, you talked about the impact of this, the ingredients starting to come together on the weekend when people might be less in touch with media and, and social media and, and less in tune in what's happening. So maybe a bit of an unfortunate timing. As I recall, I've, I've read some things about Opal's timing. Now, Opal being in the mid-90s, that also, did that not really ramp up um, more late at night? And I, I read some things about Opal's timing. Bill, you may have some insights on that, but that was another Florida panhandle hurricane. And I think just when that ramp up it, it a lot of people were not in tune to the media from what i remember reading they were all watching the uh the the end game of the uh, oj simpson trial that's was, right that was that was released oh, that that night right that, that that morning there were no uh media at the hurricane center <laughs> it's incredible you had, a, you had a major hurricane approaching the uh, u.s coastline and there was no media attention on it at all uh I was working over here at Houston and there was no calls. Nobody was interested in it. They were all watching the OJ trial. But we got very lucky with Opal as it, it intensified very rapidly, it was approaching Cat 5 south of New Orleans, and it weakened just about as rapidly leading up to landfall. Or we would have had an incredible catastrophe. In Bill, didn't it really ramp up later in the evening? And like you said, people were yeah, fixated on the OJ Simpson thing, but then it kind of um, dropped off quickly after midnight, right? Is that correct? It's something like that. Yeah, the uh, the uh, I think it was like a category one at the four o'clock advisory. So it was sometime in the overnight hours that it uh, that it increased, did, did the, the rapid deepening. The biggest impact from Opal, would that have been east of Pensacola and west of Panama City? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Um, yes, it, it, it's there's now a, there's now a beach here on one of our barrier islands. It's uh, referred to as Opal Beach. So it was, it, uh, yeah, kind of yes, uh, uh, a little bit east of Pensacola, Navarre area, and then um, certainly west of uh, Panama City. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, Alan, you mentioned obviously working through Ivan. I wanted to ask you, could you walk us through a timeline? before, during, and after Ivan, kind of what what was going on with your forecasting, what you were doing, and then kind of what the communication was like with the public. Let's start before Ivan. As you're seeing Ivan approach the Northern Gulf Coast, what are you doing? What does your communication look? And how are people taking the advisories? 
Yeah, and that was in 2004. In 04 and 05, we had incredibly busy hurricane season, so it, it felt like we were watching one after another, and then that started as a tropical wave. Ivan was a wave off the coast of Africa, and latitudinally, it was it was a very southern sort of storm that kind of went, it was well to the south, uh, you know, then it swung up through the Caribbean Sea, so we had it, you know, unlike with Sally and, and Michael, this one we were watching for, you know, uh, we had such good lead time. And in fact, if you look back at the cones, which back then were a lot wider, uh, you, you know, the cones from the NHC were a lot wider than they, they're really, the forecast for that was really pretty good. And that's back in 2004, you know, it swung up through the Caribbean sea. So we're watching it. It's coming up toward the Gulf of Mexico. Everyone's thinking, Oh, Aaron and Opal, this is what happened in Aaron and Opal. Uh, all right, we need to get ready. So everybody's getting ready. And then a lot of people evacuated. Uh, we, we didn't have the traffic problem that we did back in uh, Aaron and Opal. I wasn't here for those, but uh, it, people were able to get out and get, you know, evacuate and then, you know, gas runs out. So, you, you know, the storm hasn't even hit. There's no fuel around. Um, the place starts to become kind of a ghost town. We've got a pretty good idea uh, that it's uh, headed this way. Your gas tank is full. You've got whatever you need. Um, everyone seemed to be fairly ready. Uh, and then, yeah, it was, you know, here comes a major hurricane. Uh, it was a long, long night. So you still have those people like Mexico Beach that are staying in, in flood zones and staying in houses and areas that, you um, you know, they shouldn't have been in, they didn't know, but they, they shouldn't have been there. So back then too, a lot of our, you know, we're not using social media in 2004, like we are today. Um, so the communication it's, we're on the radio. So we're, we're simulcast on the radio. And that that's the way I heard for years and years, people would say, I just got under the, you know, I got in my safe spot and I just listened to you on the radio all night long. Uh, and it, you know, it was radios. So you had a battery power radio, the power is going out. It, it was an overnight storm too. It didn't, hit, you know, at night in the dark, uh, but then also phones were the way people communicated. So we had a lot of people that would call in and we're on the air broadcasting and, you know, they're talking to us and we're talking to anybody. We're talking to officials. We're talking to people that are um, caught in the storm, but some of the phone calls were more private calls. You know, they just ring through and maybe the anchors would be on and I'd take a call or, you know, one of the other meteorologists. And, you know, we had some really tough calls. I mean, I remember one where you know, they're they're telling us that the refrigerator is floating, the sofa is floating, uh, that, you know, there's water coming up to their waist in their house. And they just saw a boat float by. Should they go over and turn it right side up and get on the boat? You know, it's like, how do you answer these questions? You're like, I, no, I don't think getting on that boat is a good idea. It's not uh, does it not sound safe. Um, you know, you got to try to hold tight. And, you know, it's, they're just nervous and as can be with this water coming up, up, up and up. You know, they were this particular one I remember talking to. They were they were on a canal and um, one of the canal systems here. And I mean, it it was years that I thought about those people and wondered, like, whatever happened to them, you know, afterward. OK, well, we're going to we're going to try to we're just going to, you know, try to get up as high as we can. And then I'm like, what what happened to them? And I was fortunate enough to actually meet them uh, several years later. And I was so happy to know that they were OK and had, had made it through. And then I think at the same time, too, there's a little bit of a, a an embarrassment with all that. Um, you know, your control is taken away from you. So I think people get a little embarrassed. I don't think they were as happy to see me and talk about that night as I was just to know that they were alive. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a lot of people are reaching out to you for maybe the latest info, but also for advice, like potentially life-saving advice that's hard for you to know how to guide them in the moment. Definitely in the moment like that, you know, you, you don't, you, you just are 
kind of picturing in your mind what they're talking about with all this water and, you know, the hearing that the refrigerator is floating and things like that. Uh, I, I couldn't advise them to go out and get on a boat that was floating by uh, just, just to hope that, Hey, you know, you look at where the storm is and you just kind of try to give some sort of analysis of, of well, is this, is the surge going to get worse? Or, you know, of course in Katrina, that was pushing people up into their attics where they were stuck up there and they're trying to come through the roof. Uh, but you know, you, you're look, you know, you try to give some idea and, you know, I, you know, with hurricane Sally, and I think the communication shifts now, um, from a phone call to this TV station. I mean, we rarely take phone calls at all anymore, um, to now in, when I'm on the air, a lot of times I'll say, Hey, email me. Cause I, I can see it sitting right there and it's just popping up and email me. And I'll try to answer your question over the air, just directly to the person because somebody else may have the same question or they can do it on X Twitter uh, and, and, you know, send some sort of uh, question or information like that. And I can pass it along. I personally am not a Facebook messenger person. Uh, if there's way too much, um, I, 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 the volume of it is, is too much for me to use messenger. Uh, so I'm not on that, but, but uh, Twitter seems to be a little bit of a different ball game to that or email. If somebody really has a question, Hey, the best thing, email me, you know, and they're using, they're using their, their power, their phones. And, uh, you know, and now it seems like too, with cell phones, the, uh, the towers were able to, the cell phones are holding up longer, you know, power goes out, but the cell phones are still working for, for much longer. Ellen, it sounds like your preferred communication has now shifted to sending you an email and then you can say, hey, I've gotten eight emails about the same topic. Let me address that on camera kind of thing. Totally. Yeah, I, it's my favorite way to do it. And that's the way, you know, and then they can just go on and, and send. Yeah, they just send an email and then, then I can just kind of have a conversation with them. We've been talking a lot about Hurricane Ivan. Bill, what was it like for you watching Ivan approach the northern Gulf Coast there at night from the National Hurricane Center? Well, actually, I was still at the at the office here in League City as the MIC. So uh, I, I was there because there's a lot of backup uh, uh, pr procedures and protocol that have been improved on since then, but it was complicated. So we had to be ready if some of the offices west of, of uh, Mobile, for example, went out. We would have to be ready to take on some of their uh, job. But other, uh, the interesting thing I had with Ivan when it was – Entering the Gulf is I was in frequent conversation with a captain of a of a uh, Royal Caribbean cruise ship who was uh, trying to uh, feather his way around the backside of it. I'm sure there were a lot of, of seasick passengers on that trip. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. So they were in direct communication with you about the forecast and conditions they could expect. Yeah, I don't. I, I you know I I thought they had their own. Uh, a meteorological service i know they do now but apparently they didn't back then i guess and uh, how they got our number i don't know but it the uh, uh, way sometimes those things work bill sorry i messed up your timeline so when did you go to the nhc 2007 uh first okay, so three years after ivan there for about five five months as a uh, in an acting role and then i was the uh, uh uh thankfully given the job of director right after that in 2008. Yeah, fascinating. Y'all, this has been a great discussion, Alan. We've really enjoyed your insights. It's 1025. I think we're going to go over to a sponsor update from Tim and then a tropical update from Bill. Tim, let's go over to you. Yeah, let's do that. Let's thank, first of all, the folks who make these webcasts a possibility each and every week, the podcasts and everything else. And of course, first and foremost is USAA. My goodness, 
we went to USA years ago with this idea and they jumped on board and they've been back year after year after year. And we appreciate it, not only for sponsoring NTWC Live, the National Tropical Weather Conference, and most of the activities we do with the Storm Science Network, the kind of the parent group of NTWC. So we really appreciate USA for being there and understanding the value of, uh, of getting the word out and just getting people better prepared during hurricane season. So thanks to USAA. South Padre Island, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, that's been the host for the National Tropical Weather Conference since the very beginning. Uh, we've been at South Padre Island for a long time now. We're at our, our third hotel. We started at the Isla Grande, then at the Hilton. We're now at the brand new sparkling courtyard by Marriott. And uh, it's a great place. So thanks SBI CVB uh, for keeping the welcome mat open for us and bringing us in each year. We'll be back there in April. So we'll see you there then. Hope everybody in, in in there with us, especially for the hospitality suite. You know, that's the best part of the whole thing. Um, the weather company, thanks to the weather company. Uh, they provide the, the graphic systems uh, for a lot of TV stations around the nation. Um, and, and they do some amazing things, some innovative ways of showing not just daily weather, but tropical weather in particular. So we appreciate all they do. And Weather Boy, you know, joined us a couple of years ago. And they came in and, and they said they wanted to bring college students in um, and, and kind of enlighten the next generation, uh, allow those college students to be up close and personal with people like Bill Reed and Dr. Hal Needham and, and, and Alan Strum and Josh Morgerman and, and Dan Brown and, and, and Phil Klotzbach and let them sit and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And so Weatherboy uh, provides, we do a contest. And uh, you can see that more about that on our website, Trip to the Tropics. Uh, so if you're a college student, you want to come to the National Tropical Weather Conference, Weather Boy might just pay your way. End of the contest, we'll see if we can get you there. So uh, really important. A lot of other sponsors, but they're the ones who really make this event uh, a possibility week in and week out. So thanks to all of them. All right. There is, you know, October, you think things are starting to wind down, but that is not the case this year. Um, I've been afraid to say on the air that, hey, we've made it to October. You know, we've gotten through the thick of it because, Bill, there's still a lot going on. That's a lot happening. It's amazing that, you know, we should be winding down and we're not, at least in our part of the world. Fortunately, uh, things are <laughs> somewhat quiet in our part of the world, but geez, that's a lot. And that, that's, that, that last system you see coming off Africa um, headed straight west, now, you know, the models are not seeing much on that yet, but, but have we seen something down there this late in the season, make it all the way into the Caribbean and the Gulf, Bill, that you can recall? Uh, I'm sure the answer is yes, but I, I can't tell you which one. I haven't really followed those that much, especially, uh, I mean, most of the ones in October that have affected Florida, for example, are ones that form in the Western Caribbean. The the wave that it formed on probably came off Africa and did nothing because of the hostile environment until it got in the Western Caribbean. So in that regard, this is a somewhat different animal. Well, it's been an interesting season. You know, the forecast of a lot of storms has, has come to pass. Um, direct impact on the U.S. has been somewhat limited, though. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> Somewhat was the key word, but yeah. Big Ben of Florida would probably beg to differ <laughs> with Adalia. Yes, of course, of course. It's a classic example of it only takes one. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate that. A lot going on uh, throughout the tropics, the Atlantic and the Pacific and all the Pacific. So thanks. We appreciate that. Al, what's going on in Geotrek these days? What's going on in the Geotrek world? Yeah, you know, what does an earthquake in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal 
How does that relate to hurricane impacts along the U.S. Gulf Coast? Well, listen to our latest podcast, podcast number 80 with the GeoTrek project. It's called Climbing to the Roof of the World with Pete Athens. So Pete Athens is a Himalayan mountaineer and Mount Everest expert. He shares insights from leading expeditions to the world's highest mountains, perspectives of high altitude weather extremes, and firsthand accounts of how the 2015 earthquake and COVID-19 impact uh, pandemic impacted Nepal. Now, you might wonder, okay, what is that? have to do with NTWC? What does that have to do with hurricanes? We came across a really interesting insight in this pandemic. He shared after the 2015 earthquake in Nepal, they found some of the older construction that was made out of wood, stone, and mud actually weathered the earthquake much better than newer construction. And we hear that sometimes when we look at building impacts and the impacts on the build environment of hurricanes. Sometimes you'll hear people say the newer building codes are fantastic. Uh, the, The older building codes several decades in a lot of places several decades ago, not as good. But sometimes you're in coastal communities that say, look at these buildings that are 100 years old or 110 years old. They'll actually talk about how sometimes they're built better for weathering hurricanes. I remember I was in Biloxi, Mississippi, and this guy said, you have to come in my house. Look at how this was built. Look at how many nails they used in the two by fours when they built this in the 40s. You know, and his his perspective was buildings from the 70s and 80s were not built as well. So it's really interesting to kind of walk through time in disaster prone communities and see how maybe building codes have changed over time. In general, we think newer construction is built better. That's not always the case. And so this was an insight that came out of podcast number 80 with the GeoTrek project that I thought, you know, really relates to building in hurricane country as well. You can find the GeoTrek podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, anything like that. It's called GeoTrek, G-E-O-T-R-E-K. We're all about exploring the world and sharing these stories related to extreme weather and natural disasters that are not shared on the mainstream media. Thank you, How Fascinating. And I'm anxious to watch that and listen to that. I can't wait to hear what it has to say. I think a lot of that, too, is what you're talking about is, you know, you've been here 40 years and nothing's happened, so we don't have to build for that, right? And you've been here 80 years, you know better. You know, it's interesting. We all know about the South Florida building code and how that really improved after Hurricane Andrew. Builders that I've talked to in Florida have often said, you know, that the 60s, 70s, 80s, you find a lot of this subpar construction. But then you go back to these really hyperactive decades, the 20s, the 40s, the 50s, and a lot of the buildings built right after those really hyperactive decades, you actually see some pretty good construction in places like South Florida. Fascinating. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. Thanks, Al. We appreciate that. Let's get back to Alan. And Alan, you know, you're really talking about um, you know, storms firing up on the weekends and and sometimes you have to make decisions as to how you're going to get the information, whether it's a weekend or weekday uh, during an important sporting event. Um, you know, this weekend I was sitting on South Padre Island watching the, uh, the, the Texas-Oklahoma football game and ABC interrupted for an update on what was going on in Israel. And they updated the UT-OU football game and there were boos in the bar. Um, it's something really important. And that's a decision you have to make. I have to make. We all have to make sometimes is when to, when to go in and what's, what's important. And obviously that was, but, you know, the booze don't matter, of course. But, but talk about that a little bit. Making those yeah. <laughs> if I remember, that was a pretty fast update, was it not? Or yeah, It was quick. They knew, you know, get in, get out. Yeah, and I think that's the way we feel as well a lot of times. You know, we've got a major, you know, SEC football around here is, humongous and uh yeah if we've got something like that going on and you know it's on the air you know we make that decision we try to 
you know, I'm, I'm here for the people and it's, you know, I, I often say I'm in the service industry really. So I'm here to provide the information and, and pass it along, but I want, I want it to be well received. So I try to balance that, you know, and if I can use, so, so when I say network break, if I can use a network break, what I'll do is come on the air. A network break is say a, a break that runs all across the nation where a local break is one that we're getting money from locally. So uh, the network ABC doesn't know that I'm covering up their break. I mean, they're probably not going to be happy about it, that their commercial isn't airing here, you know, in, in this territory. But I'll actually, you know, converse with the guys that actually run when those breaks run and hit. And, and I'll say, all right, I want to hit that network break. Somebody count me down, you know, and I'll use those two minutes to, to you know, inform people. And I'll, I'll, I'll even start it out by saying, hey, look, the only thing you're missing is this commercial. Uh, you know, it's just the commercial we're missing and we're going to get right back to the game and uh, get back into it. So uh, that that's one of the ways that I use it. I try to use little opportunities like that. You know, if we get into a, a real wall-to-wall situation, I mean, sometimes we'll even double box it where you've got, you know, maybe the game here and um, the weather here, or we've got other channels and, and other options we can just toss it to and say, hey, join us on this other channel and watch us over there. If you want weather coverage, watch us there. Or, you know, if you want to watch football, you can watch it here. Yeah, it, it, it's such a difficult call. So, I mean, it's not difficult, but it's, it's you know, the, the repercussions of it. We do it coming out of a break before the program restarts. So we'll cover the first minute or two of, of a game, but people don't know what they're missing. And you toss it back and they think they've just missed a few seconds when in reality they just missed two touchdowns. But oh, yeah, believe me, that is a, that is that is definitely the way to do it as well. Where and they don't know what they're missing, you know, where you, where you come, yeah, you're not you're not cutting like you know the balls in the air and all of a sudden boom you cut. Uh, but sometimes coordinating that with the people that are punching the buttons and not paying attention is difficult. So we'll come out of a commercial break and maybe you try to use that opportunity right out of the break, but it'll start for just a few seconds and then they'll punch it and I'm like, oh come on, you know, the punch was just a. A, a couple of seconds uh, too late on that one. You know, the other thing, I, I, something um, too that I've been looking at recently, this time of the year, you know, I think back ever since Hurricane Michael, I think back to, okay, it's that time of the year. Cause usually like what you were saying, we get into October, we start to feel good. We're on the downside of uh, peak hurricane season. We're headed to the end. Let's just get through this. You know, and I'm looking at the water temperature and our, like the lifeguards right here, you know, just uh, along the shoreline are reporting the water temperature of 77 degrees. And then you look at some of the buoys, there's one about nine miles out that uh, it's been about 80, 81. And then you go a little farther out and then, you know, we're kind of more mid to, to low 80s. But it's like you get that, you start watching for that water temperature to cool down and here across the northern Gulf Coast. You know, our, we've had some cool weather move through and already our water temperature uh, is been beginning to cool, which makes us feel like we're, you know, kind of kind of getting toward uh, the end. But of course, you know, something powerful, you know, is is starts up farther south over warmer water and comes charging up. You know, it does. It's going to take more than, you know, uh, a little coolness in the water around here to slow it down. But, yeah, we're starting to see the water cool a bit. That's a good thing. Anything to bring this thing to an end will be great because <laughs> it's been one of those seasons. Uh, Bill, jump back in. I know you've got more. Yeah, the uh, water temperature uh, thing there. I w- always look for about two or three of these fronts to come through before we really get the water temperature tamped back down uh, where it belongs. So I guess we're going to just have to wait and and, uh, and rely on the weather pattern. I mean, we're, the, the westerlies are well entrenched across the – uh, southern United States, northern Gulf. If that stays that way, we're in good shape. But uh, 
do you have a lot of turnover in residents in your uh, your viewing area, uh, Alan? Uh, yes, we do. We have um, NAS Pensacola and we have Pearlbert. So we have a lot of military here at Navy, um, Air Force. So there's a lot, there's a lot of that that are coming through and, you know, from all over. Uh, and in some cases from all over the world, we'll have people come in and, and do training as well here. Uh, so there is, there, there's a Navy basis and, and in general, yeah, we've had a lot of people move here too, uh, with Florida being a, a state without uh, income, you know, without state income tax. You know, we get a lot of people to, to move down here from other areas. And I think this part of the panhandle, we have the, the most beautiful beaches here. It's it's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I've, I've traveled all over the world, been to all kinds of different beaches. And uh, this beach at Santa Rosa Island is really my favorite beach in the whole world. The sand, the water, the color. We had a wonderful season, too, where we had calm conditions all season long. We get a lot of bad rip currents up here, and we see a lot of deaths from rip currents. Unfortunately, this peak season in the summer, uh, we didn't end up with that because the Gulf waters were were nice and calm. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're finding a lot of people are moving here. You know, when you look at the real estate market and such, it's not – uh, it, it, we haven't, we don't, we haven't really seen, you know, you know, things have slowed down and leveled off a lot, but we're not, we're not seeing things really go down as far as the real estate market goes. So, uh, it's still being supported around uh, this particular area in the panhandle, which has a lower cost of living than areas like, you know, other parts of Florida and central and, and South Florida. And I think some people are, are discovering that and coming into this area. So I feel like there's more people moving here, but then of course, with the uh, military, we, all, we always have that, the, the people in the military that are moving in and out. Military does a good job though, of uh, taking care of things ahead of storms. And uh, I, I believe informing their people as well as, as to what to do. Yeah, that's good. That's, I think that's one of your biggest challenges in the, some of these coastal areas is that you, you, you can't, you, you can't rely on past memory if you have that much churn in your population. You're almost having to start from scratch every year to bring the new people up to speed of what they're at risk at. And they, and it, it sounds like there's there's uh, the, there's been no winning on getting people to stop building houses where they get storm surge, or use a building code that can handle the the worst winds. So new people coming in assume that. The local officials aren't going to allow you to build a house that's dangerous. So how do you overcome that? You got any ideas? <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, I wish I did. Um, yeah, there's yeah, there's a, the construction has slowed somewhat around here. You know, there are a lot of spec houses going up and such uh, that, you know, when you look at them, I mean, these are frame houses that are going uh, up and, you know, how are they going to survive, say, you know, a, a huge major hurricane coming through. But yeah, in the beaches, too, you know, they're they're building up on pilings here on our, um, you know, out on our barrier islands and such. So uh, they're they're building up. Uh, but yeah, the building is, you know, it, it's continuing a lot of our at Pensacola Beach and a lot of that area is actually already kind of built out. So part of the island is a, a natural preserve, um, Gulf Islands National Seashore. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, this is if you haven't been here, please come, please come when the weather is nice um, and, and enjoy. But we've got, you know, our, our downtown area of Pensacola is uh, is booming, um, very well built up, but it's flooded. I mean, it's flooded uh, several times. You know, Ivan, we've even had heavy rain events where we've had flooding. They've done some infrastructure changes to the city where uh, we did have. So we had about the, about the same amount of rain in 2014 and these devastating floods. I mean, I was seeing videos of, of rapids running down streets and I was like, this has got to be fake. And it turns out it was real. That was in 2014. That was not, it was in, it was in April. It was not a tropical event. 
Uh, and then we had about the same amount of rain with uh, Hurricane Sally, which was in 2020. So both times we had around two feet of rain during a short period of time. The rain rate might have been a little stronger, higher in uh, the 2014 floods. But, you know, in both cases, we had around in 2014 and in 2020 with Sally, we had around two feet of rain and a lot of spots that did flood uh, in 2014 did not flood in Hurricane Sally, which uh, was great because a lot of people that dealt with that didn't have to deal with it. And the, you know, the, there was some restructuring of the, you know, the infrastructure and such so that the, the drainage was a little bit better. But what does concern me is that drainage, you know, and I'm not the engineer, so I, I don't want to be an expert on that. Uh, but you know, that that's those rain events and Sally was a big rain event. It was a category two hurricane, but that water has a place to go. If we had a huge say hurricane Michael coming up here and a, and a big surge in the bays, um, I, you know, where, where is that water, you know, it's going to be battling the surge. And I, I think even though we've, uh, uh, improved the way the drainage is, we, you know, with a huge surge around here, we may end up seeing again, some of the flooding problems that we had seen previously. Yeah. They have the same exact discussions over here. It's, it's a, it's the same basic issues. Flat land is there's some limits to how fast you can drain water. And if the, if the tides are high, the, the drainage system is retarded. Yeah, and your our tides. I guess you might have a little more of a dominant tide there, uh, as we're on about the same. Yeah, well, uh, two two feet on the island, maybe a foot in the bay is the normal uh, rise and fall, high to low tide. Yeah, so we're okay. So we're about the same. Yeah, I grew up on the Pacific, where you had these dramatic uh, tide increases. You know, you could set up a picnic, and a couple of hours later, you were you were in the water. Um, on the Pacific, you know, out in California, but yeah, it's like where the Gulf, you know, I, uh, you know, as the moon, I kind of describe it as it just kind of, it kind of goes like this more so than, um, you know, like with the Atlantic and the Pacific where, where it's moving more dramatically. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, um, that, that battling with the surge and with the drainage would be, um, would be, I think problematic. So with Sally and Sally was, you know, it was a huge rainmaker. So that was a, a super slow moving storm. You know, I mentioned with, uh, uh, with uh, Ivan and some of the other ones, people have evacuated. They did end up leaving. Um, but Sally was, you know, that was another one that hit on, um, it was a Wednesday. It was like a Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. So same kind of thing where you had the weekend before where a lot of advisories are going out, but they're also, the advisories were telling people, hey, this is headed to Louisiana. So it was like, okay, well, let's just let them have it. You know, uh, that's, uh, you know, we, we around here, well, the people, uh, not me, but the, the people around here will say, yes, Texas, you guys can have it. Louisiana, you guys can have it. We are happy to send the storms uh, uh, your way. But um, I mean, that kind of kidding. We don't want anybody to see to, to see anything devastating like that. But um, Sally, it was, you know, here we are with the advisors over the weekend thinking this thing's going to Louisiana. Now, I, it surprised people. It never surprised me. I mean, something like that isn't going to surprise me. I feel like I've watched these events and it's just a slow mover. I mean, when the thing's moving uh, barely, you know, um, a, a few miles per hour or just almost stationary out there uh it you know it has the opportunity to move and then we end up we're in the cone uh but then that that hurricane warning for sally um was issued on monday at four o'clock in the afternoon and then it ends up uh hitting and you know on, on on wednesday morning i think my timing is right on all that uh but you know that ends up really kind of shifting quite a bit and you know it's a category uh, you know, it's not a major, it's a category two hurricane and folks, uh, nobody left. I mean, everybody stayed 
And I mean, in one case, I had somebody who was newer to town and said, hey, this was worse than Hurricane Ivan. And I'm like, well, you weren't here during Hurricane Ivan. Um, it, it, it wasn't worse, but yes, it was bad. And it was a long, scary night for a lot of people uh, that were just riding out Hurricane Sally, um, thinking it wasn't going to come here. And they just really weren't weren't ready for it. But also like with the power, uh, the power company and uh, the utilities, everything, uh, that's that process seems much faster than back in uh, the mid 2000s, back in 04 and 05. It seemed like it took a lot longer to uh, get, you know, power and, and utilities back up and running. I mean, after Sally, it seemed like people were, you know, people were up and running pretty quickly and getting back to their daily routine, routines and their daily lives. And, um, and then just having to deal with the cleanup and whatever damage they might've had at their home. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of great lessons were taught in the 2004 season when you had the multiple hurricanes hit hit florida there and a lot of the other gulf coast states and perhaps even up the east coast have have, have uh, copied what florida did in in uh in uh, changes in how they operate uh uh, uh rita was uh, we had the same problems over here with with rita the areas east of here uh that were without power even though they were on the west side of the storm it took weeks because the uh, the whole system was strung out. Every they were still doing repairs from Katrina, uh, so now they've got the uh, inner inner agreements between the states. People are coming in from far far away, even the Midwest, uh, to help put Humpty Dumpty back together. And I think that's that's what you described is is showing the results of that effort. Guys, talking about evacuation, Alan, I wanted to ask you before you said you'll often encourage people to evacuate west so they can get more on the weaker side of the storm in general. Obviously, the I-10 corridor is a, a high volume corridor moving east to west uh, in your area. Do you ever encourage people as well to evacuate to the north? Obviously, the roads would be smaller, less services, but it's more rural. Is, is there wisdom in that or do you feel like it's better to keep them along the I-10 corridor? You know, the I-10 corridor, so we have I-10 that runs, you know, east-west right through the panhandle. And then uh, to get to the next interstate, you have to go pretty far north up into Alabama. And you've got Interstate 65 that kind of runs it on the map. It kind of looks like this, if you will, um, or, or maybe the other way. Uh, so the you know i'm i'm just trying to tell people to get to to go in a direction that's going to get them away from the worst part of the storm you know like the tornado threat it, that can be unpleasant you know let's say they do go to the east and you know they're dealing with those outer bounds and they'll end up under a tornado watch and uh, potentially tornado warnings you know during the day during the overnight hours or you know whereas you don't see that if you, you go west um, yeah, I have thought, you know, am I, am I, um, am I gumming up the roadways uh, to the, to the, um, West? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know really how big of an impact I have. I and mean, we are the only TV station here, um, in Northwest Florida that has local news and weather. The other stations are in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, so if you watch ABC, uh, you're, you're, we're, we're the only station with local news here, NBC, Fox, uh, CBS, they're all in, in, in Alabama. Now with Katrina, um, I don't know if my, you know, that one was, you know, that one ended up going to, you know, was it was strike on Louisiana, Mississippi. So I'm not sure I would advise people and say a scenario like Katrina to go West because they're having to go so far West uh, to get on the other side of it, that there may be a, an area to the North or, or to the East. Um, they also, since uh, Ivan and Dennis in 04 and 05, they've improved some of the roads that are North uh, moving so in it, back when some of those were say two lanes, you know now we've got four lane um, 
you know, much, much, much bigger roads, uh, you know, that, that do move north toward Interstate 65 and up into Alabama. And like emergency management lately, too, has been uh, pushing something more this year. And maybe um, Bill Reed can touch on this, but they've been saying, hey, you, you there's a slogan. I'm, I'm trying to bring it to me. It's like you don't have to go um, hundreds of miles. You can only go tens of miles. I think it's something like that. So there I think that their point there is they're just saying get out of. Uh, you know, get out of a flood zone, get out of an area where you could have a storm surge or or a flood scenario and just go to someone's house that might be 20 miles away, a friend or a family member that is uh, on higher ground. Uh, I mean, for me and uh, having lived through these things, I'm like, who wants to stay through the power outages and the mess and uh, just just go if you can and you're able and capable, just go somewhere like far enough away that you can you can go and just be comfortable uh, until it passes. I mean, that's what I tell my family family and my close friends or in the viewers as well. I mean, I'm not keeping any secrets from anybody. I, t- I tell everybody anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my, 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 I'll tell my family, so just go, if it's coming here, go west, just get out of it, find somewhere comfortable, um, <laughs> leave me alone for a while and we'll talk, we'll talk later. Yeah, we kind of use a, a catchphrase, run from the water, hide from the wind. Uh, but during my term as, as director, there was still a lot of reluctance to uh, officially shelter people in close because the they couldn't certify the buildings as storm ready. They couldn't they, they couldn't certify they would withhold it and nothing would be uh, if, uh, Hugo, I think is the one that they uh, used a school for an evacuation shelter in McClellanville, South Carolina, and the storm surge hit it. They got lucky they didn't get deep enough to drown the people in there, but it was close. And for a long while, there was very, very reluctant to have any official sheltering. Ray Cross wouldn't open any uh, shelter. So the, uh, the the more your population density is of the people you need to move, the harder it is to, to. I mean, you can say you don't need to go far, but where are they going to go? <laughs> uh, I mean, not everybody, not some of these uh, places, the the building stock is is not even close to a major hurricane. Do you really want people? with no supplies uh, going into buildings where there's nothing set up for them that are going to be heavily damaged and maybe a week or so without any uh, uh, respite from that. Yeah, you'll save their lives. So it's a last resort. That's probably a good, good call, but I kind of, I, I'm, I, I'm in your camp on that. I don't want to have people, the too many people stuck here without the resources to, to handle the aftermath of the storm. I'm the same way. I would have my family go to, I would jokingly say, go to any state or province that starts with the letter O. <laughs> Ohio, Oregon, and Ontario are fine places to visit. <laughs> Guys, we're coming to the top of the hour. It's been a great program today. Uh, let me get final thoughts. Uh, Alan, thank you for being here. Any any final thoughts on uh, on, on what you learned in all these years of doing this that, that you can impart on our viewers and listeners today? Well, I think uh, know when you're looking to buy a home or settle down, know where it is and what could happen. And that's something for people moving to this area that uh, uh, they need to be aware of what kind of environment they're moving in and, and know, is it in a flood zone? I mean, you know, if they're getting a mortgage, they're going to have to uh, have flood insurance if the mortgage company requires that. So that's something to think about. Okay, wait, uh, do I really want to live in a, in a, a place that requires 
uh, flood insurance. And then you, we just talked about evacuation. I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, um, Bill Reed, you agree that, uh, yeah, why, why be around here um, in an uncomfortable scenario when something like that's going to hit and you don't know what you're going to have to be dealing with or how strong the structure you're, you're uh, going to be in will, will, will be or how it will be able to sustain it. So, yeah, just um, get out. I mean, just, just leave. And, and, oh, and then, you know, another thing we talked briefly about some of the social media and stuff, but also know where you're getting your information from on social media, because there uh, is a lot of speculation and, uh, you know, stuff that comes out early on or that's put out there just so that people are getting, you know, likes and shares and such, that's not necessarily the best information. So uh, be aware of, of where you're getting that information and whether or not um, it's good. Alan, appreciate it. Best dressed, best dressed guy on the show. We appreciate you getting dressed up for us today. It's my uniform. (laughs) Looking good. Alan, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up with today? Great show today. A lot of great content. I thought it's genius the way Alan approaches this to tell people, message me, send an email, and then he'll, if if he's overwhelmed, not reply to each email, just, just address that on air. That's a great approach. I think a lot of us that get overwhelmed with messaging during a hurricane would benefit from following that approach. Good idea. Good idea. And I like that a lot too. Bill, last, last word. Yep. It's a, been a common theme on our show this year about the issues of evacuation on that. I'm glad we brought that up and talked. I think one thing I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention that what uh, Alan and I uh, advocate is it works well for those of us that have the means to do it. It doesn't solve the problem for the lower income people and, and other people that have challenges as far as getting out of harm's way. All right, guys. Thank you. Great program today. Really appreciate it. Alan, thanks for time taking the time to be with us today. Hurricane Howell, Bill Reed, thank you for being part of the program as well. I want to thank our sponsors once again uh, who make these programs a possibility week in and week out. USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Weather Company, and Weather Boy. Those are the folks who we rely on to allow us to be here so we can bring you this information throughout the hurricane season. Just a few weeks left to get to November End of November, November 30th. That's it. Next week, uh, we've got Mike Iles. I hope I pronounce these names right. Joe Sione, Frederick Borkstrom, and Kim Keisty. And they're going to talk about space-based forecasting and Sky 4 radio sound from Global Spire. That's going to be a very interesting program, something we haven't done before. So we'll see you all next week. In the meantime, have an awesome week. Take, stay safe out there. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of NTWC Live Hurricane Center Podcast. If you did, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And join us next week. This is NTWC Live.